Chapter 29 Amid the Sweetness of the Coral Blossoms As a matter of fact, they did not again visit the inhospitable shores of the heavenly Ganga. Often, however, they turned their flight towards the valley of the Malachite rocks. Reposing under the mighty crown of the coral tree, they breathed that perfume of perfumes which streamed from the crimson blossoms, and in the depth of their memory there was opened up to them the vista of their former lives, life preceding life in some strangely appointed order, back into the far distant past. And they saw themselves in other times, when human beings were mightier than now. In those memorable heroic days, when he tore himself from her arms and rode his war elephant to Hastinapura to aid his friends, the Pandava princes, in their quarrel with the Kauravas, when, fighting at the side of Arjuna and Krishna, on the plain of Kurukshetra, on the tenth day of the gigantic battle, he yielded up his spirit. And when she had received the news of his death and his shrouded body had been returned to her, she had ascended the funeral pyre in front of the palace, followed by all of her women, and had ignited the great blaze with her own hand. And yet again they saw themselves in strange regions, amid scenery of another kind. It was no longer the valley of the Ganga and the Yamuna, with its magnificent palace-filled cities, where warriors in shining armour, proud Brahmins, rich merchants and diligent workers led animation to the streets. This theatre, which had so often framed the stage of their common life with its luxuriant tropical magnificence, as though there were no other world, now disappeared entirely to make room for a drearier and harsher land. Here the sun of summer burns, it's true, just as hot as by the Ganga, dries up the watercourses and parches the grass. But in winter the frost robs the woods of their foliage and rime covers the fields. No towns rear their towers in this region. Only widely scattered villages with large sheepfolds lie in the midst of its rich pastures, and the protecting elevation nearby is turned into a small fortress by means of ramparts and a rough wall. A warlike, pastoral people have their home here. The woods are full of wolves, and miles away the trembling wayfarer hears the roar of the lion, the beast that roams frightful, savage, whose lair is in the mountains, as he describes it, for he is a song-maker. After long wanderings, he approaches a village, an unknown but welcome guest, for that he is everywhere. Over his shoulder hangs his sole visible possession, a small harp, but in his head he carries the whole precious heritage of his fathers, ancient mystic hymns to Agni and Indra, to Varuna and Mitra, yes, even to unknown gods, songs of war and drinking choruses for the men, love songs for the maidens, fortune-bringing magic sayings to protect the cattle, the givers of milk. And he has power and knowledge with which to increase this store from his own resources. Where indeed would such a guest not be welcome? It is the hour when the cattle are being driven home. At the head of a herd there walks, with supreme grace in every movement of her young body, a maiden of lofty stature. By her side goes her pet cow, whose bell the others follow, and from time to time the favourite licks her mistress's hand. The young wanderer gives the maiden an evening greeting. She replies with kindly words. Smiling, they look at one another, and the look is the same as that which was born in the pleasure park of Kosumbi, which flew back and forth between the ball player on the stage and the handsome stranger. But the land of the five streams, after it has repeatedly given them shelter in her home, disappears in its turn as did the valley of the Ganga. Other regions come into view, other peoples and customs surround them, everything poorer, rougher, wilder. 
The step over which the procession passes, horsemen, wagons, and people on foot in endless lines, is white with snow. The air is full of whirling flakes. Black mountains look darkly down. From under the tent-like roof of a heavy ox-wagon, a maiden leans forward with such haste of movement that the sheepskin slips aside, and her wealth of golden hair flows down over her cheeks, her throat, and breast. Anxiety burns in her eyes as she gazes out in the direction in which all eyes are turned, where all fingers point, to where, like a dark cloud whirled up by the wind, a horde of mounted horsemen comes sweeping towards them. But she smiles confidently as her glance meets that of the youth who rides on a black ox beside the wagon, and it is the same look as before, even if out of blue eyes. The glance sets the heart of the youth on fire. He swings his battle-axe and with a loud cry joins the other warriors who rush on to meet the foe, sets it on fire and still warms it when it is pierced by the cold iron of a Scythian arrow. But they saw greater changes yet. Led by the fragrant odour of the coral tree, they undertook even longer journeys. They found themselves as a stag and hind in a vast forest. Their love was wordless now, but not sightless. And again it was the same look, deep in the darkest depths of their great eyes, as if prescient, there lightened, even if through dim blue mists, the same spark that had later found its way so radiantly from human eye to human eye. They grazed together and waded side by side in the clear, cool forest brook. Body by body, they rested in the tall, soft grass. They had their joys in common, and together they trembled for fear, when a branch suddenly became alive and the jaws of the python opened wide, or when, in the stillness of the night, a scarcely audible creeping movement was caught by their quick ears, while the flaring nostrils discerned the pungent odour of a beast of prey, and they fled with mighty bounds, just as a rustling crack made itself heard in the neighbouring thicket, and the angry roar of a tiger that had fallen short of its prey rolled through the wood, which now was suddenly wakened to life all around. Farther yet, and a pair of golden eagles were building their eyrie high up in a savage mountain fastness, hanging over the blue abysses of the Himalayas, circling round its snowy pinnacles. As two dolphins they ploughed the boundless expanse of old ocean's salty flood. Yes, once they even grew as two palms on an island in the midst of the seas, their roots intertwined in the cool sand of the shore, and their tops rustling together in the cool sea breeze. Thus did they too, companions in so many wanderings, linger in the shade of the coral tree, and, day by day, enjoy the sweets of memory exhaled by its fragrant blossoms. For even as a royal couple have many tales related to them by the court storyteller, in pursuit of amusement and knowledge, now the life story of a king, now a simple village tale, at one time a heroic poem, at another a legend of ancient days, or maybe a fable of some animal, or a fairy tale. And all the while they know that, however often it pleases them to listen, there is no fear that this prince of storytellers will ever be at a loss for words, because the treasury of his knowledge and his own inventive ability are both inexhaustible. So these two were able to say to themselves, However often and however long we may linger here, even if it were for an eternity, there is no danger that these blossoms will ever be unable to waken further memories, for the farther we go down into the abysses of time, the farther does time recede before us and they marvelled much. We are as old as the world, said Varsity.